This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are, One Bills Live. Abbreviated version day two with the NHL draft on tap tonight. Marty and Duffer doing a little ex- putting a little extra work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we've got an hour to spend with you here this afternoon. Chris Brown, Maddie Glad with you again today. And the smoke is back, Maddie. <laughs> the it, smoke is back from the forest fires up in Canada. It started to come back yesterday afternoon. I started to see it on my drive home, and I was like, is it just a little hazy today? What's going on here? And then I wake up this morning, and I went outside, and I was like, oh, it smells like smoke. Yeah, it's noticeable. I have a terrible sense of smell. My wife has a fantastic sense of smell, <laughs> thankfully. So someone in our house Opposites can... Opposites track. But she came, she came, she was out the door early this morning and then came back. And she's like, yep, the smoke is back. And I was like, dang, I was going to go for a run this morning. Yep. So I went outside and I don't know, maybe it was just where we were. Like you look up in the sky and you can see like mm-hmm. that haze. But like down at ground level, it didn't seem as bad. I don't know. I might just be delusional. And I was like, you know what? I really, I, I just went for a run anyway. And I was, I was okay. Like I didn't have any issues breathing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't exactly tearing it up, but um, I was like, am I going to pay for that? <laughs> but I was like, I really wanted to go we'll for a run. See. But then I saw on the highway coming into work, They've got it up on on the road signs, you know, the digital road signs. It says, you know, smoke uh, is reducing air quality. Consider wearing a mask, like especially if you're somebody, you know, with respiratory issues or asthma or something, you Mm -hmm. should absolutely wear a mask. And I saw on the local news, they said basically anything over 150 is considered poor air quality, somewhat of a threat, especially to people with respiratory issues. And we were at 178 yesterday. But back in Michigan, it was over 300. Jeez. The count. I know back at like, home in dangerous. Chicago, it's. Is crazy. it bad there? Oh, yeah. You can see it. I've seen some shots of like the city skyline in Chicago, and it was like, this was yesterday. This is today. And you can't really see the buildings um, in definition. I have a softball game later tonight. I'm mm. in a. Um, you can play softball, softball with a mask on, especially. Yeah. Maybe. We we played a couple weeks ago when it was smoky too, and it it seemed fine. Probably not the best air quality to yeah. play. And it was one of those days where all the high schools were canceling games, and it was like your slow pitch softball league is it still is on. on for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're running out of triple with a mask on, it might be hard to breathe. But other than that, I would think if mm-hmm. you felt like you had to wear one because it got bad, you could do that. Be, knowing you are a native Chicago, and I wanted to tell you this story that, I, well, it's more of a joke than anything else. But apparently a reporter approached Michael Jordan and they asked him. And this is how the exchange went. Reporter asks, hey, Mike, do you think your 90s Bulls would beat LeBron's Lakers? Michael responds, yeah, by two or three points. And so the reporter responds, oh, really? Why such a close game? Yeah. Jordan responds, well, heck, just about all of us are 60 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it. I thought that was clever. Um, (laughs) That's a (laughs) 60-year-old collection of players. (laughs) We We can can still still beat beat LeBron's Lakers by two or three. That is so Jordan. It's not even funny. Um, 
But I laughed when I saw that. One of my but one of my high school buddies sent that to me, which was funny because in the '90s, as Knicks fans, we all hated Jordan, as you can imagine. So, uh, never beat that guy. <laughs> no, not that anybody else did either. Yeah, it was hard. But yes, uh, so I thought you would appreciate that. Love it as a Chicago fan. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got news. In the NFL today, chiefly among the NFL Players Association, they have elected a new executive director. We mentioned this yesterday in our Around the NFL segment, which is brought to you by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And we know Demoris Smith, the current executive director, his term is up in 2024. So they do these elections a year in advance. I'm guessing to make for a smooth transition, get that guy up to speed while the guy that's serving in the position is still there. That all makes sense to me. But they've elected Lloyd Howell. And if his name is not familiar to you, do not worry. Because <laughs> I don't think it's familiar to any of us either. Um, and I was I had to look him up. I know, I was trying to look him like, up this morning. Even the national reporters didn't mm-hmm. have really anything yep. to go on. But Chief Financial Officer and Executive Vice President and Treasurer of Booz Allen Hamilton Holding Company. It's a professional services company, I guess. And he just retired there on October 1st. Talk about a retirement plan. You walk into the executive (laughs) directorship of the NFL Players Association? Yeah. I'm all done here. Let's uh, let's head to the NFL. You probably got a race. The NFLPA. (laughs) Yeah, really. I mean, and... Fortunately for him, he's got time to coast because it's a little mm-hmm. while before the next CBA Living comes up. Living his best life right now. So, I mean, on the field, is it a big deal? No. But for the union leadership, mm-hmm. it's a gigantic deal. So if you ask the players, this is big news. And we were talking about it yesterday. How much it was kept under wraps mm-hmm. was fascinating. But maybe it's because of who the guy was. Nobody, nobody nobody's ever him. heard of this guy. So it wasn't worth talking about. Yeah, I was maybe, like, maybe. I'm and, not making fun of him. I'm sure he's a great guy and yeah. he's going to do a great but in, job. And, but, but in football circles. In the football world, not a big name. Yeah. He got his MBA from Harvard Business School and graduated from UPenn. That's the only other wow. info that I can Wow, all find. Ivy League. Okay. I guess he's qualified. Yeah. Um, the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, issued a statement after Howell's election today was announced. He said the following, I want to congratulate Lloyd Howell on his election as executive director of the NFLPA and to thank Demora Smith for his continued partnership and unstinting work on behalf of NFL players. We look forward to working with Lloyd and his team to continue growing the game and making it better, safer, more accessible and attractive to fans around the world. So while that was probably viewed as a positive on the part of the NFLPA, there, yeah, exactly. Thank you for the sound effects. <laughs> the NFL gambling suspensions are coming. ESPN's Adam Schefter is reporting that a handful of NFL players, including Colts cornerback Isaiah Rogers, who we know admitted to gambling already, they're expected to receive season-long suspensions this week for allegedly gambling. To this point, six players have served or are serving suspensions for gambling violations. Most recently, Jamison Williams and Stanley Berryhill from the Lions, who are going to serve six-game suspensions for placing non-NFL bets while at work. We remember Calvin Ridley had to serve a one-year suspension for betting on NFL games. And Isaiah Rogers said he bet on NFL games, so he's getting at least a year. 
and it's interesting. We don't have names of other players, Maddie, but they're saying a handful of other players. How? Like, are we six, eight, ten, twelve? Well, Handfuls five, I guess. Like at least five. Or is five? it a handful compared to the amount of players that are in the NFL? Oof, that number's big then. Yeah, it's... I know everybody's doing the. I hope it's not my. I hope it's not my team. I hope it's not yeah, my I know, team. Right? I hope it's not my team. Because that's the right first now. thing I was thinking. Yeah. Like, please, no Bills players. I know. Please, I know. Um, and hopefully that's the case. Um, but yeah, we've seen players around the league like they're not plugged in on what they can and cannot do. Yeah. And fortunately, the NFL has responded. I know they've put the rookies through the paces on the do's and don'ts of the NFL gambling policy, so there's no way they can be uninformed while they're away from football over this five, six-week period before training camp. So hopefully no, <laughs> no You guys issues. make enough money. Don't do it. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, look. You've got an NFL salary. <laughs> yeah, I'd be the first to understand the entertainment value. I get it. Um, I think it's just rooted in the fact that now, because I know you can do it in so a couple accessible. of taps on your phone, yeah. it's an e- I, I guess it's an easy trap to fall into, but just don't even put the app on your phone. Yeah. You know, that's how you avoid that. Mm-hmm. NFL.com, Maddie, put together a list of rookies they believe could provide instant impact in year one on the defensive side of the ball. And Bill's linebacker, Dorian Williams, made the list. Uh, Chad Ruder wrote the story for NFL.com. Here's what he wrote about Williams. Williams could earn a starting spot for the Bills in 2023, possibly replacing Tremaine Edmonds in the middle, given the third-round pick's powerful tackling and nose for the ball. He's no run-plugger, so expect to see him chasing down plays headed for the sidelines. I think there's going to be stiff competition for Dorian Williams, You know, us having seen this competition to some degree up close and personal. I haven't really, and you've seen more than I have, because as we've said, I'm usually in here doing the, doing the show before practice is even over for those spring practices that we saw. I'm hopeful, because I didn't see a ton of flashes from Dorian Williams in the team setting, I'm hopeful that more of his game shows up when the pads go on. Yeah, and these guys, especially the rookies who are just picking up an NFL playbook for the first time, I think the speed at which they play, especially in those first few weeks in OTA's mandatory minicamp, rookie minicamp even, is just so slow compared to hopefully the speed that they'll be playing at once week one begins, even training camp. And I asked Sean McDermott once mandatory minicamp started, I was like, hey, are you expecting these rookies to like take a step forward this week since they've had a few weeks of, of practice and a few weeks of meetings already? Um, and he said, not necessarily right now. Yes, we are looking, looking forward to them making some progress here in mandatory minicamp. But he said, I think the big changes we'll start to see once training camp starts as these guys break for six weeks and they can continue to learn things, continue to work out on their own. We want to see those changes come training camp. So maybe he'll flash a little bit more there. But, man, I after the season is over and Dorian can reveal, you know, if he's a starter, if he's played at all, it'll be interesting to hear somebody who did not play in the toughest defense at Tulane to pick up a defense like the Bills yeah. play. Um, it'll be interesting to hear him say how how challenging it was because I know it's not the easiest thing to do. And you get drafted into the NFL and into a team like the Bills because they believe you can do that. 
Right. And, you know, you mentioned the speed of the game. When the pads go on and you get to training camp, it goes up another notch because now it's real football. And even though you're playing thud and not tackling to the ground, there's, there's a greater physical element to it, obviously. I think that actually helps Dorian Williams because he kind of plays a physical style. A little bit more reactionary. You right. Know, so, you would, yeah. Yeah, so you would hope that with the pads going on, it's going to benefit his game and he's going to show up more. But again, I think we do have to respect what he is undertaking here, not just the learning curve with the scheme, as you mentioned, but now as a 21, 22-year-old stepping into the huddle and calling the play and yeah, then making pre-snap checks. The defense. Yeah, making pre-snap checks at the same time and getting guys that some of whom are 10 years older than him to listen to him and say, this is what we're doing, and I know I'm right on this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a challenge, Which too. Which Tremaine said was tough for him in his first yes. few years. He really wasn't that talkative of a player by the time he was in his last couple seasons with the Bills. The talkative part of him definitely increased in his leadership style. He started to use his voice a lot more. But he, he said it in those first couple years, especially that first season that he was a starter, like speaking up and calling the plays and, and – alerting people to certain things especially when you've got guys who are you know in your late 20s standing behind you some of the best safeties in the NFL and and you're helping by telling them what to do or or what the read needs Mm -hmm. to be here it's a lot and and the expectations too Um, I'm curious to see once we get into the season, if it will be revealed what the plan is for Doreen Williams. And I know he has to earn the spot. Right. Um, but Bobby Babbage talked really highly of him and, and really liked what he saw with his college tape. And, and I know Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean like to temper those expectations, especially in year one. And they have done so with Doreen Williams and, and even Dalton Kincaid. Right. And, you know, I guess I'm just thinking back to Tremaine Edmonds since you brought him up. And what helped him be more vocal were veterans pushing him to do that. Mm-hmm. Like Lorenzo Alexander would push him to speak up in meetings. Kyle Williams was doing the same thing. So there was that veteran presence that encouraged him to take on more of a vocal presence, whether it was in the huddle, on the field between plays, on the sideline between series or in meeting rooms. And, you know, is A.J. Klein that guy? If you know Dorian Williams ends up winning the job, does he kind of push him to the forefront and say it's time for you to speak up, whatever the case might be? We're a long way from that because there's other people in the mix, and you know as we've mentioned umpteen number of times here, um, it's going to be one of the more fascinating position battles at training camp for sure. NFL.com also did a list of offensive rookies they thought could provide instant impact. It's a little disappointed not to see Dalton Kincaid on the list. They went I with know, Sam Laporta. I know, I know. For the Detroit Lions instead, which, look, I think Sam Laporte is going to have a nice career in Detroit. I do. Um, As a matter of fact, I kind of liked him as the next best pass-catching weapon at the tight end position Mm -hmm. after Kincaid. Um, But I – I don't know. I just thought Kincaid might get a little more love there, but he did not. So. I scrolled right to the tight ends or right to the did tight the same ends because it I was did. only one, and I was like, no, Dalton's not on this list. Yeah, but maybe that's for the best. Who knows? Uh, one bit of free agent news, running back Dalvin Cook, he formerly of the Minnesota Vikings, has reportedly received multiple contract offers. One of those is reportedly coming from the Miami Dolphins, Cook's hometown team. Now, we know that he's already said publicly, 
that would be a dream scenario mm-hmm. for him playing for the Dolphins. Reports indicate, though, that Cook will take his time on which offer to take, which may not come until right before training camp. My thinking is this, Maddie. If the Dolphins are your dream scenario and they've reportedly made you a contract offer, how bad was it if you're not taking it? Yeah. That was your dream scenario. There it is. The money must be awful, right? Like, I would think so. I mean, if it's at least respectable and that's where you want to play, you sign the deal. And you think about the running back market, what running backs are worth now in today's NFL. That number gets smaller and smaller, especially when, depending on what your salary cap situation is, teams are almost there. They're almost at capacity right now. Some teams still having to figure out how they can get under or figure out how they can make it work with rookies and and potentially signing other guys once we get into training camp. Um, But, yeah, I wonder what that number is. He must have been supremely lowballed. Like – I mean, because if you sign now, it's not like there's – because we've seen this from veterans before. You know, they really don't want to be there for OTAs or mandatory <laughs> minicamps. So it's like, you know what, I'm going to sign right before training camp. Mm-hmm. But it's not like you're you're signing up to do anything now no, until you get waiting. to training camp. Yeah. So I, I'm curious as – he said one thing. The Dolphins have reportedly made an offer and – he hasn't jumped at that, so I gotta believe it's it's a, re- a rather unimpressive <laughs> offer. I mean, what else could it be? He said that's where he thought it'd be great if he could play there, but not for this kind of money. I need more money than that. Like, is, I mean, is that money. where we are? That's probably where we are. I would think, because there's no other reason why he wouldn't just sign the deal and go, and he would zoom right to the top of that yeah. depth chart. He's had four straight seasons of over a thousand rushing yards and. Yep. Yeah, he's put up numbers when and he's I, healthy. And he's I put think up he, numbers. yeah, he would be a good fit in that San Francisco-style rushing attack. Well, he would be good in any system. He's right. universal fit, but he would be pretty dangerous in that. And then we get to play against him twice a year. Right. The Cook brothers. Yeah, the Cook brother battle. Actually, you'd have two sets of brothers because you'd have the Fergusons and the Cooks. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Pretty wild. Probably a first. If, if in fact, that happens. It might be. I would bet it would be. That's two. pretty rare. Yeah, two sets of brothers. I would think I would think there's a really good division. chance that's a first. Yeah. We'd have to get Elias Sports Bureau mm-hmm. on that and see if in fact that is the case. If if you're thirsty for Bill's training camp info, uh buffalobills.com is where you want to go where we're already putting up some Bill's training camp previews. The latest installment by our uh, colleague Alec White, is who is ready to emerge on offense. And we kind of touched on a similar subject earlier this week when we talked about, you know, who's your sleeper, that you don't think anybody's thinking is going to do much of anything this season. This is kind of in the same vein to some degree, but (laughs) I'm going to tease Alec a little bit. He hedged. At the running back position, he picked two people, not one. (laughs) He picked James Cook and Damian Harris. But I think he's excited about what the tandem can provide to the running game, which really kind of needs a shot in the arm. Mm -hmm. Because if you take Josh Allen out of the equation, the Bills are precipitously close to the bottom third of the league in rushing. And it's not just from a rushing yardage total, but from a yards per carry total as well. 
and I'm just as excited. I think those two guys can make a tremendous difference in in the efficiency of the run game. I don't think any of us are under the false pretenses that this is suddenly going to be, you know, a 50-50 offensive balance between the run and the pass. The passing game is what the identity of this offense is, but when they do run it, I think these two guys are going to make it far more efficient than we've seen the last couple of years. And when we had the question on Monday of, of who's a sleeper on the roster right now, I picked James Cook, but you can't talk about James Cook without talking about Damian Harris and the other running backs in the room because it's how are they going to share the load? How yeah. are they, how are they going to share the carries that are given to, to that room, to each other? And so that I, it makes sense to have both of them, too, in that category. And I keep wrestling with the roster decisions – we're in late June, and I'm already talking about the 53. What is roster. it going to look like? But yeah, but who is who is the odd man out there? Because it's tough. You know that Reggie Gilliam does so many things in this offense that he and on special teams Gosh, that he's going yeah. to be here. I, at least I would be shocked if he wasn't. He just signed an extension last year, yeah. Right, so he's on the roster. He's, he's a foregone safe. conclusion. And then you have Cook, Harris, Murray, and then Naheem Hines, and Hines not only now has competition at the running back position with these two veterans in Harris and Latavius Murray, but he's also got competition on returns with Deontay Hardy. So there, there are some different ways that that can go. Like initially I was thinking, well, is Latavius Murray the Duke Johnson player this year, the veteran who sits on the practice squad and gets mm-hmm. called up when they need him? Or is he – but then you look at his numbers last year, and it's like, man, 4.4 per carry is nothing to sneeze at. Like, that's productive. So does he push somebody else out of the running back room? It's, again, like you, you look at this roster and you say to yourself, ah, you know, it's pretty much sad. You know, who's really going to change things? And then you get you, – you sink your teeth into it a little bit more, and you're like, well, dang, that could happen. Or, ooh, that guy might be in trouble. Like, you know what I mean? You really start talking yourself into mm-hmm. – a bunch of different scenarios. And I think with the running back room, when you talk about those players, is it's not like you have a carbon copy of one. They're all different. They all yeah, offer different valid. things on the field. They all have different measurables in terms of what they look like, their height, their weight. Um, and they can all do different things. I know you can you can put Damian Harris and Latavius Murray kind of in your, your bulldozer category and in, mm-hmm. in your short yardage situations. But... Latavius Murray is so much taller than Damian Harris. Are they looking for a little bit of height for some different scenarios or for, for some different play calls? Can Latavius do some things that Damian Harris can't do and, and vice versa? So I don't, I'm like, could we carry an extra running back on the 53-man roster this year? I'm, yeah, I I could talk about the roster and what I think is going to happen to the roster and, and how excited I am to get into training camp to start to, to solve some of those question marks in my mind because I mean, this is going to be something that we are talking about up until the end of August when, when we do get to Final 53. Up front, Spencer Brown was the choice there. And, you know, Brandon Bean commented on how Brown's second half of the season was encouraging we all know how he got off to a rough start, missing just about all the training camp, coming off a of back surgery, then had the high ankle sprain, fought through that. Back half of the season, though, was encouraging from Brown as Bean saw it. And so I think they're really hoping he uses that as a springboard into this season, which, by all accounts, he's going to start healthy 
and be a full participant in training camp come late July. I know. I'm just like, I need to knock on wood here so that he doesn't get healthy during the season. He just has not had luck on his side for, for being healthy throughout a season or entering the season healthy or getting through the season healthy. It's just been so hard for him. And this training staff does such a good job making sure these guys are ready to go for the wear and tear that they're going to have during a season. And, and, and they start in the off season. They start when the guys come back for workouts in April and they, they carry on through OTAs and, and workouts will be a big part of training camp as well. So being healthy and being able to go through all of that, I've got to say is going to be really good for Spencer's Spencer Brown's body. Um, I want to see him make an impact. I want to see him take that next step. I remember when we drafted him and it, we started to see the the kind of changing of the offensive line to a lot of these taller guys. We do have – we had taller guys on the offensive line before Spencer Brown got here. But, I mean, you, you add Spencer Brown and you add Tommy Doyle and you add Osiris Torrance, and it's like you've got a starting basketball roster here, a starting five. I want to see them play football. I want to see them – knock around some defensive linemen to give Josh Allen the time he needs in the pocket to be the incredible quarterback that he is. So I'm really looking forward to see what Spencer can do this season. Uh, Trent Sherfield was listed on the receiver category, and then obviously Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid for obvious reasons. Sherfield is interesting because I think there are some unknowns Mm -hmm. at the receiver position beyond the players that Bills fans are unfamiliar with. They know Diggs, they know Davis, and they got some familiarity with Khalil Shakir last year as a rookie, but they really don't know much about Trent Sherfield, Deontay Hardy, Justin Shorter, and the rest of the lot. Um, Sherfield had a really nice spring, and can he carry that into training camp when the pads go on? That's the telltale factor here, but knowing he's done it before in this league, I mean... The signs are pretty encouraging right now, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that's exciting, too, with some of the newness that we have with those, this wide receiver room, with this running back room, the tight ends room, it's like, what are what what is going to be different here on offense? Because you have some different pieces to play with. You have some different pieces to put in different places, um, depending on what a defense is showing you. Um, so I'm really looking forward, too, to see how Trent Sherfield fits into everything with, with the type of offense. Yes, it's going to be similar, but maybe some of the different tweaks that we're going to see from Ken Dorsey in the second year calling plays for the Bills offense so that's a look at players set to emerge on offense for the Bills heading into training camp part of the training camp preview on buffalobills.com so stay close to that if you're thirsty for some Bills news especially during the July 4th holiday week we have to take a break here because when we come back we're going to be joined by senior football writer and analyst for the ringer Kevin Clark joins us, recently had Josh Allen on his Slow Newsday podcast. We'll get into that, among other things, coming up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Matty Glab here with you on a Wednesday. Happy to be joined now by senior football writer and analyst for The Ringer. It is one Kevin Clark joining us on the show Kevin, thanks for spending some of your quote-unquote down NFL time <laughs> on the calendar with us. Uh, you know, it's it's the time where everybody's trying to uh, recharge the batteries. So thank you for giving us some of your time uh, during that period. Uh, 
You have been very busy, though, cranking out the content. I know you talked to Josh Allen recently. He was a guest on your Slow Newsday podcast. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from him in the time that you spent regarding the outlook for 2023? Well, there's a couple of things. What's interesting to me is seeing – this is my 10th year covering the NFL – seeing how a star develops over his first – four or five years in the NFL. And Josh is so comfortable doing the media stuff, so comfortable with the expectations of being a franchise quarterback in that region and kind of knowing what all uh, what that all encompasses. And it's almost like he's, a, he's another team spokesman, right? Um, so it's interesting to sort of pick his brain about what he thinks the expectations are. They're high. We know that. It is probably one of the hardest ever eras to have high expectations in a conference when you look at the AFC, where not only do you have the folks who were really good last year, you're adding Aaron Rodgers in that, into that division, let alone conference. Um, it's it's going to be a, a tough road to hoe, but he was totally comfortable with it. I the most interesting thing uh, that we talked about was the push and pull between changing as a player, um, maybe not taking as many hits, maybe not taking as many risks, with being able to still be Josh Allen. I think that's going to be something that he struggles with his entire career. Patrick Mahomes still struggles with it. It's, I think the way you want to play, the way that you know, I think both Josh and Patrick are similar in that they play a very almost childlike game, right? What I mean by that is it's the way you'd play if you played in Pop Warner. If we all could and we all had the size and the strength and the throwing arm, we would play like those guys. But how do you manage that over the course of a career? Brandon Bean told me last year, you know, the one thing that he gets on Josh about is taking those extra hits and and trying to truck Kyle Van Noy for no reason. Uh, but Josh likes doing that. So so the adjustment period uh, you know is, is going to be ongoing, but I'm intrigued to see how it all develops. You spoke about the expectations on him and on this team this season. I mean, the AFC East is not going to be an easy division to win. The Dolphins are better. The Jets have Aaron Rodgers. And we know Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers are are buddies outside of football. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know he spoke about playing against Aaron Rodgers and their relationship on your podcast. So what did he have to say about that? Well, first of all, breaking news, uh, Josh Allen does get his FaceTimes answered by Aaron <laughs> Rodgers, which, he, as, as as Josh said, you know, that that's not true for everybody, including maybe some wow. of Aaron's old employers. Um, but Josh and, and, and Aaron are buddies. They talk. Um, obviously, I think a lot of those high-level quarterbacks talk, and sometimes they golf together, all of that stuff. It's no surprise they have a, have a relationship. I think Josh has, has spoken about how much he adored Aaron growing up. Remember, that the style of play that, that Josh does as far as using his legs, using his brains, using a huge arm, a lot of that was what Aaron was doing 15 years ago now. God, world. Um, but, I mean, you just think about when he first broke onto the scene after sitting on the bench for three years. Um, Aaron Rodgers was unbelievable and, and a kind of a sign of things to come for what, what the NFL would look like. Um, so, I think generally he's excited about it. He said it was going to be a dogfight. I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. That defense in New York was really, really good. I was actually looking at some of the numbers sort of incidentally last night about that defensive line and the front seven and how talented they are. Sauce Gardner is one of the best cornerbacks in the league, let alone young cornerbacks. Um, so all you do is add a two-time, uh, one-year move from being the back-to-back -back MVP, um, to a really good defense that would have made the playoffs. I think they were seven and four last year. Um, then they just kind of collapsed. They had some quarterback issues. Obviously, we all saw, saw those. You add one of the best players to ever play the game to the quarterback position, even though I think the floor is a little lower than maybe um, maybe Jets fans think or, or, or maybe even the Jets think. I think the floor is a little lower because I didn't love seeing some of the stuff I saw Aaron Rodgers last year. We just know they're going to be much improved. In that division, there's three teams there that have legitimate – contender status. I think 
Miami, if everybody stays healthy, um, you know, Mike McDaniel showed a lot of promise on the offensive side of the ball um, last year. Vic Fangio is an elite defensive coordinator, elite defensive mind. They have talent on that side of the ball. They, they, they put resources there. So you're looking at three teams that, frankly, wouldn't surprise me if we see them in the, in the Super Bowl. I know we're a ways off from week one, but since we've mentioned Jets-Bills, let's just dive into that Monday night week one thing. From this perspective, Kevin, we know the New York hype machine can very quickly get out of control um, and fill any New York fan with visions of very <laughs> unrealistic expectations. And then when those aren't realized, that fan base then turns on their own team and tries to eat them for dinner. So week one, 9-11, Monday night. I mean, you know there's going to be NFL pomp and circumstance beforehand to honor, you know, the 9-11, you know, honoring it, respecting it, you know, never forgetting all of that. And then – all of the buildup to this season with Aaron Rodgers. I'm wondering how it's going to look if they're down 13 nothing in the second quarter. Is it going to get ugly? Like what, what could we be walking into there if it doesn't go well early for the Jets? It's a great question. I would urge Jets fans to have a little patience, and I know that they don't want to because it's so funny. I don't mean to, to make fun of Jets fans. People do that all the time. I think Jets fans are good. I think the Jets organization has made them look bad. Um, there have been a handful of times where they've come at me because I, I said the Adam Gase, Sam Darnold thing was never going to work um, or that it was a bad job a couple of years ago when they gave Mike McCagden an extra draft, which he botched. Um, and and uh, even last year, uh, one of my podcasts said that, that Zach Wilson was never going to be as good as James Winston. So this is two years ago. And everybody went, you know, hundreds of people in our DM sending whatever. And it's like, well, they, they hadn't learned yet that the Jets were not a high functioning organization and that I, they needed somebody like Aaron Rodgers to come in and solve their problems. Um, I just think that the Jets over the last, I'd say, 20 years, it's been more of, of um, it's been the exception, not the rule when they have a successful season. Um, it, it just, I don't know, they're, they're just not one of the top franchises in the NFL. And so I think what's happening now and talking to Jets fans around the tri-state area where I live is there's this release and they're saying, okay, everything's going to change now. Next year is here. All the things they've wanted to say. The thing I want to urge them is if it gets rough in September and it takes a little bit to click, and I think that there's some some high expectations and some um, some some progress, I think, because Aaron is locked in with OTAs and, and mini camps and he'll obviously be there for all of training camp as he normally is. Um, but if it takes a little bit to click, if chemistry isn't there in September, Aaron Rodgers, it takes a lot to earn his trust as a receiver. If they start two and two or one and three, just remember the sky isn't falling. Um, that's the most important thing. I wish I, I wish I could go door to door in my neighborhood, guys, and just say, if you're a Jets fan, calm down because it's, it might be a tough road to help because we've seen it in the past where Aaron Rodgers has taken September and October to sort of get the offense under him, get the personnel under him, and then he takes off in the second half of the season. We've seen that time and time again. So I'm with you guys. I think that there's going to be sort of um, the, the air might come out of the building uh, with Jets fans on, on that first Monday night if the Bills go out to a to two-touchdown lead. The most important thing is realizing that this is a long-term investment at quarterback. 
So while the Jets are the hype machine this year of the AFC East, the Bills have, have kind of taken a step down in that regard. I mean, last year the hype for the Bills was out of this world, and I know this team kind of feeds off of kind of being underdogs, and maybe they get a little bit more of that this season. And Josh Allen has talked about, you know, when he came back for OTAs, a mandatory minicamp, the window that this team has to, to do something, has to win a Super Bowl. How much or how long do you think that window is still going to be open for? And when you look at the roster that they have this season, how wide open is that window for them this year? I will borrow a quote from Joe Burrow, another AFC star quarterback, who said that the the championship window is as long as he's there. Um, I think that's true of Josh Allen. And I think it's true, by the way, of pretty much every top AFC quarterback, whether that's Mahomes um, and, and obviously Rodgers will have to, will have to see. Um, but there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the AFC right now. But as long as Josh Allen's there, they have the chance to win the Super Bowl. That's the ceiling that he has. Um, this roster is really good. Uh, they really went all in financially on Vaughn Miller this time last year. He gets hurt. That changes the trajectory of everything, basically. Um, but contract-wise, this core, it needs to be soon. There needs to be a push soon um, because, you know, the, the blessing and the curse of having a good quarterback and good young players is that you have to pay them. Um, and so you start, you know, Dalton Kincaid could be a, a really incredible piece. I love year two of Ken Dorsey. So they're in the mix here. Um, I mean, I think that unfortunately from a, from a hot take prognostication standpoint, like it, it, it's hard for me to say anything other than there's four or five teams to the top of the AFC and it's going to come down to injuries, luck, and just a couple of career seasons from a couple of B plus players in the roster. That's all that, 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 that's basically the differentiation between the chiefs, the bills, the Bengals, some of these teams. Um, and so it's going to be, even I think the Broncos would be much improved. I think Justin Herbert and the chargers could have a nice little run. So it's going to be so hard to stave them off, but Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean making the decisions, the talent on this roster, they're always going to be in the mix. And, and I think you're going to see double digit wins as the floor and then from there, it comes down to the things I talked about. Last one for me, Kevin. You had a fun question on one of your podcasts about NFL teams being able to wear throwback uniforms more often. There is a segment of the Bills fan base that is obsessed with seeing the red helmets make a return <laughs> at some point in time. So I'm not just talking about jerseys here. Um, we know that the league is pretty strict, and you got to jump through a lot of hoops just to get clearance to wear it for one game or two games and, you know, the color rush jerseys and all of that. But um, I remember when they were wearing the old AFL jerseys back in 09, when it was like the 50th anniversary, you know, of the AFL, those things were sweet. Um, Do you, could you foresee a time where the league maybe relaxes that a little bit? They have relaxed a little bit of the helmet rules, but I would love to be able to see, a lot of delving into the history. I do think for as much as America loves football and it's the only thing they still watch in mass, I do think there's a lack of appreciation of the sports history. And I think throwback you know, throwback uniforms are a nice little entry point into, hey, what was the deal with this team? What was the deal with this this team that made the AFC title game 40 years ago, whatever, whatever it may be? Um, I love that element of it. And seeing these different uniforms, you see with college football a lot, where they say, hey, we're going to wear these in tribute to the 1927 team or whatever it is, if you're Notre Dame or you're Michigan or, or you're one of those teams. And so I love that just from an appreciation of the history standpoint. I think it's a cool little nod. And also some of these 
some of these uniforms just look cool. I mean, there's a reason yeah. that that Bills fans you, you mentioned are clamoring for for, for that helmet, or that uh, in Tampa Bay they're they're clamoring for for Buc- Buccaneer Bruce to come back, which it sounds like he is. The cream school uniforms will be back this year. Like that's the part of a fan base. I'm a huge Orlando Magic fan. I would empty my bank account if, if they went back to those old <laughs> '90s jerseys permanently, buying you know every single different version that's possible um that's all i that's all i care about is, is that uniform and so it's a nice little nod to nostalgia it grounds people in the past and, and things that they remember so i'm hugely in favor of, of throwback uniforms one more for me uh sean mcdermott will be calling the plays here this season he has been a defensive coordinator before obviously is there anything that you want to see from sean mcdermott as he becomes the dc of the bills defense this season I, I don't expect a huge change only because when you're the when you're the DC or when you're a defensive head coach, you're also kind of the DC unless you really relinquish it. Um, yeah, the defense was second in points last year and and first before that. I don't expect a huge change, frankly, um, with anything. They still have the personnel there. Um, they still have a, a lot of talent. And John McDermott's done it with some really good teams in some really good situations. So that's that, you know, I, I would love, I normally love to see a DC just in place, just because I think you know, I've heard coaches talk about what's called the 3am rule, which is, you know, when you wake up at 3am, you need to be thinking about one thing. Um, and if that's defense and being the head coach, sometimes that gets a little bit confusing. Um, but I think I, one of the last people I'm worried about is, is Sean McDermott calling the defense. Kevin, thanks for the time. As always, enjoy your summer. We'll catch you out at Bill's training camp. All right. See you then. All right. That's Kevin Clark, senior football writer and analyst for The Ringer. Maddie and I take a break here. We'll wrap it up with an award that a Bills part of the a part of the building, a department, they're going to be getting an ESPY. We'll tell you who when we come back here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, one last segment here for Chris Brown, Maddie Glab on One Bills Live with you. And the Buffalo Bills training staff is going to be the recipient of the Pat Tillman Service Award during the 2023 ESPYs, which will be on ABC on July 12th at 8 p.m. The award is going to honor their life-saving measures that they performed on Monday Night Football, obviously, when DeMar Hamlin was unresponsive on the field. And we know they got honored, you know, here at Highmark Stadium late last season. But nice to see them getting, you know, some national recognition as well. Yeah, it was cool to see them on the stage for the NFL Awards show as well. Now they get to be on stage for the ESPYs if they're going to travel to receive that award. And DeMar Hamlin continues his rightfully so gallivanting across the world. I saw him in a Pittsburgh Pirates jersey on the field for the Pirates game yesterday with his brother. Oh, I love it. He just looks so happy in his hometown. And he's going to be throwing out the first pitch at the Yankees game on July 3rd. Wow. And part of the reason he agreed to do that, because as you mentioned, the Pirates are his team, is because prior to the game, the Yankees players are going to be doing AED training, like how to use an actual defibrillator in an emergency situation. And so, as we know, DeMar had an event here earlier this month Mm -hmm. where he was handing out AEDs uh, for facilities and people in need of those devices to have, you know, at their respective workplaces. So he's making the rounds. 
Uh, that's for I sure. I love it. I love He's it. Got, uh, what'd you think of his first pitch, though, Manny, being a softball person? It was a little low and in the dirt there. Yeah. So he's got to. He, he can do better. He can do better. Get a little Bring more lift for the Yankees game. <laughs> Be ready for the Yankees game. Throw a strike down there. You're going to hear it. You know, the Bronx cheers are going <laughs> to straighten it out a little bit tomorrow. <laughs> straighten that out a little bit. Um, but cool seeing him making the rounds for sure. Uh, I am out of here. See you, Chris. Uh, Chris Trapasso will be in for me with Maddie Glab tomorrow, another one-hour edition at 2 p.m. So be sure to check those guys out tomorrow here on One Bills Live. Enjoy the 4th, everybody, as well. I'll see you after the holiday.